0: Hey everyone, I'm Jasmine Falk Dickerson. Welcome to the podcast. My guest is one of the most sought-after cellists in traditional music and is by far one of the most talented women I know. Her laughter is the heartwarming yang to her shy yin. Persevering through life and career while using her passions as a reboot is her hidden superpower. Get ready for an hour of sheer delight, because today I want you to meet Natalie Haas. If you're familiar with traditional music, there is no way that you have not come across Natalie Haas's name as the uh, cellist in the duo with Alistair Fraser, fiddle and cello, Scottish and traditional music, Natalie has really brought forth into the traditional realm a brand new innovative style of playing that has now become a standard for many young cellists and uh, not so young cellists. Natalie has taken advantage of all these like really neat things that she 's learned from different fiddlers and different musicians and different parts of the world and has sort of created this really deliciously rich sound in the cello that is both kind of a nod to old tradition and even part of her classical training and this kind of playful flirtation with modern grooves and modern movements in um, more popular music. So that being said, Natalie is also one of the most delightful people to talk to. Uh, You'll hear in the interview today bits and pieces, stories of her upbringing growing up, how she found music, and how she took that basically and made it her life goal and career. But in the midst of our conversation, we also uncover some other important aspects of being a musician and self-care, as well as passions that enrich the self and the soul and have aided in Natalie's sort of reboot and refinding herself every time she turns a corner with more growth in her art and in her um, kind of cello development. She is a um, an avid foodie. She loves cooking um, and has had an opportunity to explore a lot of cuisines from around the world. And we definitely touch upon that because as a foodie myself, that's always a conversation I welcome. Uh, I don't want to say any more because I think the interviews speak for themselves, the conversations speak for themselves. So um, there has been a little bit of interference in this uh, interview. And I preface that just so that you're aware as you listen, there are some um, interference noises and background things. And it's really challenging to do these interviews on Zoom and to do them remotely. Um, with that in mind, let's listen to Natalie. Natalie. Natalie, it's so good to see you. I'm so excited to see you, even though this week we should be hugging at Valley of the Moon.
1: I know, too, and uh, I wish it were in person, but um, it's a good thing we're not there right now for, for several reasons. Yeah, seriously, um, no uh, kidding. Yeah, um, scary with the fires and, and all of that, so just as well that, that there are no... None of our community is there right
0: now I know yeah we 've been kind of following closely what what 's going on there, and um, it's uh, we 're recording on a Friday, and this would be the friday we 'd be arriving to valley of oh the moon my gosh. and so it 's kind of intense for us to feel that void, and for you after doing it for decades, it must feel really <laughs> weird, however, we are all at home because of the covid era and the coronavirus uh, pandemic, and it 's kind of weird. Um, doing better and not so good. And so how has that affected, you know, your life right now? I know that as an artist, all of your gigs have been canceled to some extent, but some mm. replacements virtually have happened. But tell us how you've been coping and what's been kind of going on and how things have shifted for you.
1: Yeah, well, as you say, this is my first summer in over 20 years. I think it's I've been going to Valley of the Moon since 1995, so 25, oh. 26 years oh. that I've been going to fiddle camp you know, more than two thirds of my life. Um, and first time not wow. having that in a summer. And, um, it's very strange mm-hmm. and I, I'm definitely missing my community right now there there have been a few, um, online replacements, which have been a way for us to stay connected as a community, which has been really nice. Um, you know, it's, it's no substitute for the real thing, yeah. but it's still great to see people. And, uh, I feel like I've actually been connecting with fiddle camp people in ways that I normally wouldn't because, you know, in um, in in normal times, we see each other once a week, once a year Mm -hmm. for a week um, Mm -hmm. and maybe at multiple camps in a summer. So maybe two weeks out of the year. But then I don't see these people for the rest of the year. And they're like some of my closest friends. So it's kind of a strange relationship. And I feel like the quarantine has allowed me to get to know them more closely like outside of fiddle camp even if it's just over zoom like i've I've been doing trivia once a week with (laughs) fiddle camp pals and uh you know it's just like nothing related to music whatsoever but it's it's just really fun to to get to to know these people in a different light um yeah and and spend more time with things that that really matter um Mm. Spending more time with my family, being out in the garden, um, cooking, um, getting outside in nature and, um, you know, just taking time for the things that we don't normally have time for. That's so true. um, Being on the road.
0: Yeah. And you of all the artists that I, you know, that I know and talk to and have on my show interviewing, I think you're probably the one that's the most into your profession completely and wholeheartedly. And so it is interesting to hear you talk about how this has given you the opportunity to shift priorities a little bit. And I will talk to you a little bit more about that and ask you some more questions about that. Because I am very curious to know how you've expanded beyond just playing the cello, which sounds like it's just playing the cello, but yet, you know, <laughs> you don't just play the cello. And we will, you know, uh, uncover that as we continue to talk. But let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about little Natalie. Because um, that's always my my favorite place to start you know the very beginning (laughs) and storytelling because i think our childhood really sets us up for who we become in the future and all of those surroundings i know that you grew up in california in a very loving home and a very dedicated home with both your parents and your sister Brittany, who is also a well-known fiddler and you discovered the cello at some point after dance but i want you to take us down that road in your own words
1: yeah um Well, uh, we came at music, um, my sister and I at a, from a kind of a a strange place. Like neither of us really were aware of it. And then, um, out of the blue, my sister was four, I was eight, I think. Um, uh, one of her best friends, um, saw a fiddler at a wedding or something and, um, decided he wanted to take violin lessons and, um, his mom suggested that Brittany go with him and they do it together. So they went to Suzuki violin lessons. Um, and Brittany started before I did, she did it for a year before my, my family realized, Oh my gosh, this is a great thing (laughs) in her life. You should be doing it too. Um, and then it, you know, I was like time to choose an instrument and, um, and it was actually my sister's violin teacher who suggested I play the cello so that we could play together and Mm -hmm. uh be doing things that were complementary and not competing with one another Mm -hmm. so um a year later i started taking suzuki cello lessons at age nine and um and then a couple years after that um was when we discovered valley of the moon scottish fiddle camp um through again, my, my sister's violin teacher. Wow. She was like mm-hmm. a great uh, influence in our lives. Um, she had heard of Alistair's camp. Um, she, I think, she had some Scottish heritage. And uh, Brittany had was starting to get bored of classical music and mm-hmm. uh, was mm-hmm. starting to take bluegrass fiddle lessons. Wow! And um, and and her violin teacher was concerned that this would ruin her t- technique. So, um, so she thought that's- <laughs> yeah, every you know many many people with that same story um so uh she thought i don't know why but she thought that scottish music would be cleaner <laughs> than bluegrass interesting <laughs> uh so she suggested we try that and and i was kind of going along just as a sidekick because you know <laughs> it didn't say well, I mean, the value scottish cello camp, right so, <laughs> but there was a cello class so that was it was unusual at that time yeah. this is 95 um for you know there there weren't that many fiddle camps at, at that time, first of all mm-hmm. um, I think Valley of the moon started in eighty four um and I'm not sure when they started having cello classes, but mm-hmm. it it was probably unique um maybe one of the the few um to offer cello um yeah as one of the electives. So I went along with my sister and we both fell in love right from the beginning um, with traditional music. Um, and it was, you know, as you guys know, it, it gives you uh, excitement and, and motivation to, to, keep going for mm-hmm. the rest of the year with music. Yeah. Um, you know, not only the music itself is fun and you get to stay up late and play with your <laughs> friends, but yeah. yeah get to know people your own age doing the same thing. And that, that's a great motivation um, to, to keep going yeah. with music. Having people your age for sure.
0: And then also having the multi-generational uh, environment that is, it's, it's so giving because there's such a passing down of the tradition and such a non-competitive way. And that I think that's probably one of the appeals of most music camps. But Valley of the Moon is kind of special in that respect. Uh, Now, you told us how you got to the cello, which was thanks to Brittany's teacher. But what I do know about you, and I will disclose it out here and blast it to the listener, is you actually wanted to play the recorder before you started playing the cello.
1: (laughs) Um, no, it was the clarinet, actually. I'm sorry, um, the did, clarinet. It's <laughs> okay. No, no, I did when, play recorder in oh, school. Oh, you I, did play recorder. I think okay. that was a requirement okay. I like, fourth grade or something.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> you wanted the clarinet. I'm sorry. Yes. So what happened yeah, with the clarinet? Yeah, I
1: think, uh, thank God I didn't <laughs> go down that path. Um, <laughs> no, nothing against clarinet players. But no. Uh, no, it was just I, I had a friend who was doing it, so that. You know, oh okay as you do
0: as mm-hmm. a kid. <laughs> yeah so the cl- and but um but the reason also why maybe britney started music before you did is you were in ballet you were you were pretty kind yeah. of committed to dance when you were younger
1: yeah that's right and then at some point i had to decide between the two because it was just too many after school activities <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just um, like when
0: kids have to choose between sports and the arts as well it's it, yeah it, it does get to be too
1: much yeah, exactly. And I, but you know, I always had cello teachers say, "Oh, you've got really good posture." Uh, like so, ballet was good for something. <laughs> ah, that's amazing! You know? <laughs> wow.
0: Do you still remain active now? Like, do you have a practice in your life that keeps you physically active? Because I, I think certain instruments, especially string instruments, are so demanding on the body, and it's it's kind of scary to Absolutely. watch what kind of issues it can cause.
1: Yeah. And I, I'm very lucky that uh, so far I haven't had any major issues. I, you know, typical like shoulder pain and, and stuff, which is pretty common for cellists, I think, but, um, nothing like crippling. Um, and I, I know a lot of friends who have had things like tendonitis and, you know, carpal tunnel and all yeah. that, which hopefully knock on wood, I won't have to deal with, but yeah, I think we, we don't stretch enough as musicians. We forget to get up and take breaks when we're practicing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's such a focused art that you, you often get lost in it, and and um, yeah, you can. It's very easy to forget just how phys- physically taxing it is on your body. So, um, I, I don't do ballet anymore. I, I but I do love dance. Mm-hmm. Um, I I've, I'm I've become an avid avid um, Zumba. Oh yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if that helps with the cello, but it certainly helps me stay active. Um, I'm sure it does
0: because it's a physical thing. Your body, you're moving those muscles and things are flowing in a really uh, generous way. And so it has to aid in some capacity. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Definitely.
0: You're also a Beyonce workout fan, I know. It's kind of, it's kind of the same thing, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just dance and fun because Hanukkah Castle mm-hmm. does her Beyonce workout at fiddle camps. And also now she's doing it virtually. So that's kind yeah. of a, a fun community thing. But it's also, you know, something we can take with us uh, all week and, and keep moving for the sake of our art, for sure. Um, and those of us who are maybe not playing as actively all the time, it still is is a support system. So yeah. now at this point, you're going to Valley of the Moon. You're starting to see other cellists play music that is not just Suzuki or classical. What happens then? I mean, because I know that Alistair saw something right away. It didn't take long <laughs> for him to see what potential there was in you. Um, you did go there with something, a drive that is probably unusual. Um, so what happened in those first five years before then you were kind of handpicked and started going on tour with them and then started even teaching.
1: Yeah. um, Well, you know, Valley of the Moon, it really changed everything for for both Brittany and me. She she met her idol, Bruce Molsky, there and went down the old-time music path. And for me, it was Scottish music from the beginning. So I, you know, not only Scottish music, but we were exposed to, to the best fiddle players from many different styles there. Alistair, Martin Hayes, uh, Buddy McMaster, Katrina McDonald, like all, all, these people from all over, not just the Celtic world, but America and Scandinavia. And um, so, uh, yeah, very broad influences. there. mostly fiddle players though. Mm-hmm. So um, where I really got inspired, the, the cello teacher was great. Abby Newton. She's a, mm-hmm. a wonderful uh, Scottish cellist who comes more from, the classical world and and the baroque side of sort of scottish music mm-hmm. back in the seventeen eighteen hundreds, 1800s um where the cello serves more of like a bass yeah. role um so i i learned how to do that but things really changed for me when i when um rashad eggleston came to camp oh, oh just just visiting yeah he, he wasn't teaching there mm-hmm. but he had a I think there was a, a local Bay Area fiddle player um Evan Price who's a wonderful jazz musician mm-hmm, um indeed. was getting married and so all of these musicians were coming into town for his wedding and they a lot of them came into Valley of the Moon we, they snuck in one of the nights <laughs> and uh and had some epic jam sessions so that that was how I met Rashad oh, and wow. also Daryl Anger oh, wow. um and when I saw both of them doing what they were doing it was like it's Totally, just mind blowing! Oh, that's possible. On so, a describe, <laughs> describe for, for
0: people who have never seen them play, because it is very unique and kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah, describe <laughs> what yeah, is it I that mean, this about is before that that R- Rashad got really unique? Uh, but was it the chopping? Was yeah. it the rhythms? What was it about the way they played together? Because I mean, Daryl is the god of rhythmic stuff. And then, of course, you know, under his tutelage, Rashad took it and did something completely uh, crazy on the cello as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think maybe it was I saw Daryl first and he had this very strange instrument that was sort of cello like with him. He's kind of a a collector of weird instruments. (laughs) And uh, he sat down next to me during one of the classes and I heard him do stuff that I had never heard anybody do before. And uh, yes, a lot of it was rhythmic in nature. Um, using techniques as, like chopping that, that um, nobody else was doing, especially not in that Celtic world. Um, hadn't really, hadn't really applied it to Celtic music yet. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was a first for me. And uh, yeah, I was just huge, hugely inspired by that. Then Rashad was there as well. And uh, as you say, had figured out how to do what Daryl was doing on the cello and was an, another d- disciple of Daryl's, um, but also, you know very creative in his own right and uh and this is before he like became the, the sneak goblin and stuff he mm-hmm. was like the the master of accompanying fiddle tunes on mm-hmm. the cello before he really developed his own mm-hmm. um musical style um so I took some lessons with him uh while at Valley of the moon and um very uh life changing as well, so he was really inspiration, um, but people I was inspired by were the fiddle teachers that were coming through there and listening to what they were doing when they weren't playing the melody um, like I, I wanted to to be able to to do everything they were doing on the fiddle, so playing melodies but also accompanying other fiddle players um, and some of that you know I got inspired by listening to other instruments as well piano, guitar, things that you typically find as accompaniment instruments in Celtic music yeah. Um, and figuring out how to do those things on the cello.
0: So, were you at this point only playing uh, cello in a melodic sense, or were you also in the classical Suzuki world starting to work with uh, Britney maybe in duos or in chamber or in other smaller settings where you are also developing a sense of um, accompaniment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think. Cellists kind of have an in innate sense of that because that's sort of your role in in any chamber group or in an orchestra. Mm-hmm. You're you're covering more of the bass end of things, so you you're, you're hearing those kinds of things just naturally from even from classical training. Although it, it might take some time to develop being able to just pull them out of thin air yeah. um, using only your, your ear and and not reading them by a sheet music. But uh, yeah, so I was I was doing both. You know, I, I would spend the school year um, playing, um, classical music, uh, youth symphony chamber groups. Um, and then at fiddle camp get inspired to, um, yeah, so some playing with just me and my sister. And that, Mm -hmm. a lot of that was sort of an exploration of, of what was possible with fiddle and cello and figuring out what, what, how to use best use the cello. Um, and yeah, we were still kind of Figuring it up back yep, then. Figuring it out, and then at some point into going to Valley of the moon, Alistair noticed me. I think it was in a. There was a guest baroque violinist who had come and was giving a workshop, and uh, I was sitting there and playing more of these sort of. Bass lines I think I was maybe the only cellist in there and Alistair was sitting next to me and, and heard me and then kind of pulled me aside after class and said hey can we go and try some of these old uh, ba- 18th century baselines from old Scottish collections there's you know it's one of the few traditions that has documented cello as being a major part of wow. um, the ensemble uh, back uh, a few hundred years ago so we 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 when and did that. We went and sat under a redwood tree with this old uh, collection from the 18th century, oh, wow. um, and then at some point we just took the book away and and Alistair would play a tune and say, oh, what, "What would you do with this?" You know, um, and that's how it started.
0: And how old were you now? Fifteen.
1: Yeah, fifteen or sixteen. I wow.
0: Think. What were you? Okay. What were you feeling in that moment? Are you able to go back and relive that emotion? Because that's kind of that—that's a really special thing for someone that age.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, I, I think I, I was shy that. I'm very shy. <laughs> still am, you know, uh, and so probably wasn't saying much. But I was, you know, so excited and maybe maybe a little bit nervous too. But um, just uh, yeah, ex- excited to be. Doing uh, playing playing at all with with Alistair, he was the director of the camp. He was, you know, a hero, musical hero sure. for for all of us. So, um, yeah, probably a little unsure of myself, but at the same time, just you know, kind of the like, uh, I don't know what the word is um, sort of youthful mm-hmm. like uh, naivete mm-hmm. of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of just doing it without knowing or or. You know, not not criticizing yourself right. as, as you do as an adult, and just just going for it. Um, so I, I luckily I, I had that attitude at the time because that really allowed us to.
0: And you know, it's interesting because go deep in yeah, and because young people don't have that filter of intimidation, even though they're nervous and excited. I remember the first year we went to Valley of mm-hmm. the Moon and met some of the boys' as heroes, because we had already met you and Alistair. We had been attending camps with you guys up in uh, Washington State, where we live. And But some of the people that we met at Valley of the Moon the first year, like Hanukkah and Laura Risk, I mean, people that the boys had been listening to, but that we'd never had a chance to meet. I remember how excited they were, and but just like how natural it was to go and talk to them. But... Eros's teacher, fiddle teacher, was with us there, and he was, I mean, Laura Risk was his biggest idol, is, and he was too shy to even go talk to her. And just to see the difference (laughs) of how adults are like, whoa, you know, a little more reservation, and kids are like, oh, yeah, of course I idolize this person, but it's just a fiddler and a musician that I look up to, and here I get a chance to talk to them. So part Mm -hmm. of that for you was also that. I will also say, I remember when we first met you, the very first camp we came and they were teeny 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 and one of my favorite memories is not just watching them grow as musicians and as people under you know your mentorship and Alster's mentorship and just seeing them find their voices and their sense of enthusiasm in the music that they're playing but for me one of my biggest joys was watching you also grow into even though you were already you know an adult and an established musician i think you guys had already uh, released your first three albums as a duo. But I remember how in you know, in the 10 year span or so, how, you know, you also went from being the cello teacher to uh Alistair, I've got something to say, like, sit down, my turn, you know, kind of vibe. It's so fun to watch. It's kind of amazing because it's clear that the chemistry of your relationship is so endearing, endearing and so family-like, but also as musical partners, something just continues to brew and shift. And so what mm. has been your biggest observation in yourself, in your musicianship, as a person, as an artist, through this 20-plus-year journey with Alistair?
1: Yeah, it's changed a lot. I mean, uh, as I told you, when we first met, I was a student. I had only been coming to camp for a couple of years. I was nervous and shy around him. And um, that probably lasted for a good, you know, five to 10 years at wow. least. And then I, I was also, you know, we, when we started performing together, I was just kind of along for the ride. I was really excited. and
0: And you were I, 17 when you released your first album together, Fire and Grace.
1: Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that, that something right. like yeah.
0: that. Yeah, <laughs> late teens. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I was like, you know, too too shy to talk on stage for a, at least like the first ten years of playing together. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, our our relationship definitely um, has shifted from that beginning of me being more in the student role um, to becoming full equals, and and that's takes time and, uh, it's a sort of a delicate balance, but, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I feel really lucky, um, to have that trust, um, between each other for me to feel able to like assert myself and say, this is what I think. Can we make this happen? Um, you know, being it's, it's really difficult in a duo. I I think Mm -hmm. you could probably uh, imagine, you know, you're, you spend all your time together and then mm-hmm. there's no like third person to act as a mediator. So right. you really have to stand up for yourself and what you believe in and make sure that um, your ideas are getting heard. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really great to, to, to be in that position now. It, it took some time to get there and it's it wasn't just you know, nobody's fault. It's no. just like – My uh, overcoming my natural shyness. Exactly.
0: And so I want to take advantage of you saying that because I can see definitely the fact that uh, Alistair has given so much space for you on stage. And I can completely see this is not Alistair's ego that maybe got in the way of you being able to reach that a little sooner. How would you describe your personal journey? In this development as a person, because I think artists struggle with finding themselves and finding their voices, some more than others, because some may have uh, a little less shyness and a little more outgoingness. In your case, and I'm asking because I'm into human development, I love that part of growth and expansion as a, as a human being, <laughs> and also because, you know, people who are listening, I'm sure there are a lot of young artists, what can you say about that journey and how you reflect on it?
1: Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I'm still working on it. You know, I, I don't have all the answers. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I want to, you know, I, 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 though I'm still very shy, I, I have a lot of um, belief in my own artistic integrity. Mm. And um, I want to stand up for that and i want to make sure that um you know the, whatever we're putting out into the world is something i can get behind per, 100% and mm-hmm. the quality of what we're putting out into mm-hmm. the world is as high as it can be um and that that sometimes is hard to uh stand up for you know if the other person isn't completely on board right. um and you you both have different work ethics and and you know but uh, for the most part we're pretty well aligned yeah. and so we work we work really well together and i'm very thankful for yeah, that yeah um, yeah it's a wonderful it
0: be, wonderful it partnership it wouldn't have
1: lasted this long
0: yep. if that wasn't the case absolutely now <laughs> in the meantime you are developing as a musician at Valley of the Moon with Alistair and all of his encouragement and support and your own finding yourself in the meantime it's time to graduate high school, it's time to make decisions for college, and here you are all of a sudden faced with that tough decision. I know you've had supportive parents all along the journey. I know your mom has been a big cheerleader in the music community, taking you guys to camps and making sure that you were exposed to all the things that enriched you and fed you. How did you come up with the decision to attend college at Juilliard?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I I had this debate with many of my uh, musical colleagues at the time some of whom are slightly older than me so they had already kind of been through this journey and you know we all had the same issue like we love traditional music and we know that that's what we want to do with our lives but there's no college programs out there for for this in the United States um, so what do we do like uh, Berkeley College of Music was really the only option for for studying Uh, At a non-classical institution. And at that time, you know, this would have been early 2000s. um, And some of my friends had gone there sort of in the late 90s. It was more of a jazz rock pop school. So what wasn't really fitting the bill. They, they didn't develop the American Roots program until many years later, um, and and even now, I mean, I, I teach there. Mary Campbell teaches there, so there is some Celtic music, but um, you know, people aren't really going there to study Celtic music. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they go to they so, go to Ireland or Scotland for that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, exactly, there's nothing in the U.S. if if this is what you want to do with your life. Yeah, it's a big debate, you know, should you even be going to music school, first of all, or is it something that you can study on your own? Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, should you get a backup? Uh, should you have a backup plan, go mm-hmm. to liberal arts college and, and get a degree in something else that's not music? You know, actually, right now, maybe that wouldn't have been such a bad <laughs> idea. because Who knows where the music world is going right now. But, but um, I
0: think everyone's suffering right now. So let's, let's remember that yeah. because that's, Yeah, it would be tragic to feel that way because, yeah. Anyway, keep going. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. We can get very
1: philosophical. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So really the only option was uh, to go to a conservatory if you wanted to study music. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I was amazed that I managed to get into Juilliard, but – I, I thought, well, you know, I'm not really done studying classical music. Like, there's big gaps in my knowledge in the, the classic cello repertoire that I haven't covered yet. So I'm going to take the next four years. I'm going to become the best cellist I can possibly be. I'm still going to be playing traditional music because Alistair and I were already touring at that point, and we continued to tour through my college years. Um, and, uh, yeah, so traditional music is never going to go out of my life. So I, I decided to to go down the conservatory road. Um, and get a get a degree in in music in the only way that I knew how to at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I th- I think that really reflects in why you are so innovative and so sought after as a cellist. I think you were able to in a very kind of uh, in a very effective way blend the technique and the classical body of what it's like to play an instrument like the cello with the dance and flavor and playfulness of the rhythms that can happen in traditional music, I think that's, that was a very wise decision on your part, because while you were, you know, buckling down and studying all the technique, you were still developing as a performing artist, as a musician that was playing all that music. And in the meantime, you were also teaching at Valley of the Moon, were you not?
1: Yeah, yeah, I started, um, uh, it was actually the only year I ever missed Valethmin was my first year at Juilliard. I felt like I should be there for the oh, beginning wow. and the orientation and stuff, and now I regret oh <laughs> but uh so the next year so I, I like I was there as a student for many years, and then I missed that one year, and then the following year I was there as a teacher, and I've been teaching there ever since yeah. the two thousand and two Wow, my first year teaching amazing um and that was my second year of Juilliard yeah um so was yeah, it hard to take it, a lot of time
0: off from school because you were touring?
1: Definitely, yeah. I, I was. I spent a lot of time in the dean's office asking for <laughs> professional leave.
0: <laughs>
1: that doesn't sound good, but then it sounds good. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird because it's it's a it's a, a, school that's teaching you how to be a professional musician, but they don't want you to leave to, to go tour while you're there. You know, understandably, because um, you're, missing out on on the in-school education, but you're getting a real-life education sometimes. So I'm really happy with the way I did it. And even though I did miss some school, I was was pretty good about staying.
0: Have you had the opportunity to go back to Juilliard and speak as a now graduate and as a successful (laughs) musician? Have you had invitations?
1: Um, Yes. Yeah, I I did a workshop there with Mark O'Connor a few years after I graduated. And I've stayed really close with um, my best friend and roommate for all four years. And we've done a lot of collaborations together. Um, So in some ways, yes. But uh, no, I feel like I've kind of divorced myself from the the classical world. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And and now you're teaching. I mean, now you're full on teaching at the college level, the music that you perform and the music that you play and develop. In the meantime, while you and Alistair were touring and recording, your first album uh, actually one album of the year. The, for the Scott Trads Award, *Firing Grace*, which was kind of cool, and what a boost for you to say, I think I am mm-hmm. on the right path. But in the meantime, you were also recording with in other projects with other artists. How did that help and assist you? I guess, and how did that work out?
1: Uh it it was a little rough um the the years that I was kind of juggling between school and touring with Elster and touring with Mark O'Connor in his Appalachian Waltz trio, that was really hard to juggle that schedule but um it meant that once I left school I was you know I was already having a very rich fulfilling career and um didn't have to go looking for gigs which was nice. Mm-hmm. So um and yeah I feel very lucky to be in the position where um most of my Uh, colleagues are our friends from fiddle camp you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) fellow fellow, uh, fiddle players who now are not just my friends but they also hire me for gigs so that's amazing lucky yeah
0: that's amazing (laughs) so I want to I want to circle back to the very beginning when Brittany's teacher said oh Natalie should play the cello because it would be great for them cello and fiddle the two of you have not recorded an album together so what's what's up with it. that? Yeah, because I I know that many people have wondered, questioned, asked, pestered, pushed, what's up with that?
1: Um well, that's a good question. Uh it is going to happen at some point, I'm sure. Um, you know, we've just been kind of on each of us has been on our own musical path. Um and hers has been more in the American music scene and mm-hmm. mine's been more in the Celtic music scene and uh we've been busy <laughs> mm-hmm. with our individual projects, but um, every time we get called up to do a gig together, we just jump at the opportunity. So um, that's been very rewarding when it does happen. Um, we've, we've done a, a couple of tours in Ireland actually. And, uh, and I'm about to leave um, in an hour or so to go uh, play some gigs in Utah together. Uh, oh, yay. Actually as a trio with, Alistair and her, um, so awesome. that'll be fun. Uh, we we, yeah, Brittany. Just you know, she adds so much to whatever group she's part of. So it is really um, fun. She, yeah, yeah. It, it's
0: fun to hear the two of you play together. I think that's one of the reasons that the audience wants something that they can hold on to, a recording that they can go back to over and over because you do sound amazing together. I also have to say though that I admire the fact that you each really gave so much room and space for the other to grow and to develop and to continue the journey. And your parents uh, have done an amazing job in that respect as well. Um, I want to ask you about your love and passion for Scandinavian music, because it is, Mm. it's kind of a a developing love story. So how did you find (laughs) Scandinavian music and why Scandinavian music?
1: That's a great question. Um, It was, it was Daryl Anger, actually. and, And this was when we were teenagers. Um, Brittany was studying with Daryl, and he would often pass her CDs that he was um, things that he were he was excited about listening to. And mm-hmm. one one of those things was Vessen.
0: Vessen. I knew um, you were going to say this that. Was, <laughs>
1: yeah, this was probably like early two thousands, maybe. Um, and they were, you know, doing a probably one of the only Scandinavian bands who had that. Uh, wider reach in the US. Um, and uh, yeah, Daryl, Daryl had uh, maybe met them or may, I'm not sure if they had collaborated yet. But um, anyway, he, he was very responsible for sort of propagating the interest in, in them um, in that time. And so like, that was the hot
0: thing mm-hmm. to play in the
1: jam sessions in that, <laughs> in that time. So, you know, we were, both Brittany and I just became totally obsessed and was like learning all their tunes. I love the word obsessed in in this context. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All the time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, Vessen was our sort of gateway drug (laughs) and, uh, um, and it's just, you know, that, that love has, has developed ever since then. Um, and, uh, sort of brought me to, to seek out other groups, uh, Modern and more, more traditional mm-hmm. as well and, and learn the tunes And go there and spend time um, And uh, we've been lucky with the fiddle camps Bringing people from from right. those parts of the world So getting to spend time with them there And play um, in, in jam sessions And learn, yeah. learn tunes
0: Yeah, and, and you and Alistair recorded Josephine's Waltz Which was written by yeah. um, a member of Vesson uh, so that must have been a special kind of, at least beginning full circle moment for you, since you've been exposed to that. <laughs> um, the sound of of uh, of um, Scandinavian music is different. I think people, and, I, and I'm going to say this, full disclosure, people in my life who don't know much about traditional music, members of my family, will call it all <laughs> cowboy music. Anytime they hear the fiddle <laughs> or fiddle music, it's like, this is yes, not even yeah, from yeah, this yeah. country. And they're like, oh, you know, you know the music that your sons play, the cowboy music? I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know? So it's hard to explain the difference between Celtic and Scandinavian and old time and bluegrass and all that. Um, yeah. However, it is really different sounding. Scandinavian music has a totally. very kind of deliciously, uh, almost, I don't want to say somber, but there is a little bit of um, a, a melancholic melody. Absolutely. So yes. describe what about that music was so appealing to you and how it's changed your ability also as a composer.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, yes, I think you're right with the somber, melancholy, sort of dark, you know, they have... So much of the year there is there's spent in darkness, <laughs> lots of minor tunes. <laughs> yes. um, and I love that sound. Me you know, too. Yeah. As you say, and, and this is most people's association with the is like, right? yeah, kind of hick, cowboy. Cowboy music. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is very happy and very, like, dancey, and that's, right. you know, that's a big attraction mm-hmm. um, for many people. Um, and and Scandinavian music is kind of the opposite in the, in a way because it doesn't have – the, like string of constant eighth notes like which you find in a lot of scottish and irish music um which is you know just sort of this never-ending uh some people would if, say for Celtic and Irish music, the derogatory term would probably be like diddly music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, diddly, 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 diddly. Yeah, but it just keeps, kind of going, keeps going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think scary Can I just interrupt more...
0: real quick? When you said yeah, that, yeah, sure. the vision that popped in my face when you said diddly music it was Nick Garris dancing. So it was because I love when he does that, you know, and it's like, yeah, he could literally do that all day long. And it's beautiful and
1: wonderful. But sorry, keep
0: going. The diddly music versus the Scandinavian music.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what the word would be for the for describing Scandinavian music, but it, it is it's dark. It has more space. It has that three, the sense of like this really old feeling of this sort of circular energy that you don't get in music that's based on four Mm. which is most of american music and most of celtic music um of twos and fours Mm -hmm. with the three you get this wonderful sort of circular um energy which kind of yeah, there's something old and and primal about it that I, I don't fully understand, but mm-hmm. it was always a, a huge attraction for me, and definitely has influenced my my writing, as you say.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your writing. You're a phenomenal composer. It's really amazing to hear uh, compositions by a cellist that are then played <laughs> in multiple instruments because it it it's a very rich, rich and kind of deep sound even the melody you can hear that even if it's played by a fiddle so what is your process as a composer I ask most of the artists that I've interviewed some have been songwriters and others have been um you know melody writers what's your process when you write a tune uh
1: it changes but um often I mean we all have our phones with us all the time and that is a great writing tool just Mm -hmm. the voice memos If, if an idea pops into your head you just sing it into your phone and and then you can work it out later develop it change it work out the kinks whatever Mm -hmm. um so yeah the initial uh, initial idea sometimes will come as like a burst of inspiration and sometimes you have to go looking for it Mm -hmm. so it might just be like putting on a drone and playing against that and having an idea eventually grow out of that um so you know sometimes you have to work at it sometimes it just comes um But yeah, I think approaching it as a cellist, I am trying to to write things that um, sit well on my instrument. Um, Sometimes composing on your instrument is great. Sometimes composing on a different instrument to to get you out of your sort of typical uh, patterns um, is good too. Um, Yeah, I I love it. Um, And sometimes you know, having like games with friends, like giving yourselves like, okay five eight this mode oh wow uh, like no beat one or you're not allowed to have oh, you know you have some parameters on and then say like oh you write the b part i'll, I'll write the a part or something um so you, you can make a game out of it too that's um, so and cool. have it be a collaborative thing as well so that's that's
0: really really cool let me ask you this then um Because you're such a professional performer and a professional musician, do you ever feel like your art is very separate from your personal self and your personal experience? Because you have two kinds of artists. You have the artists who are committed to the art in its pure and kind of virgin form, that this is it. We are not going to molest it. We're not going to, you know... uh, Mm -hmm impose our own um what's the word I'm looking for almost like violate it we're just going to let the art be itself and then you have musicians and artists who are all about pouring their emotions and their feelings and their anger or sadness or joy into that music where do you stand (laughs)
1: um I I I think I'm maybe a combination of both of those things like when I'm in it I'm totally in it mm-hmm. when I'm not, when I'm away from the instrument, I feel like I, I have a, another aspect of my personality, which is separate from music. And, and I think that's healthy in a way, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, there's a, lo- a lot of artists that their lives are just completely consumed by what they're doing. And, uh, and it's easy to fall into that mm-hmm. trap. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's also important to, to have some perspective and, um, but you know, and again, like going back to the quarantine like that, this is proof to us that, um, you know, having these other parts of our lives, it really helps us be more well-rounded as people and um, which sure. will then translate into our music too. Hopefully. Right.
0: Do you feel like your music is more emotional as you grow and as you age for lack of a better word? Or do you feel like your music was more emotional when you were younger and a little less able to process the emotions as an adult would?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I think um, you want um, – I, I think, you know, you definitely develop uh, as an artist over your life, and I, I think the things – that you're writing are definitely influenced by whatever you're listening to um so i think uh what i was listening to as a kid maybe i i, I hear some things now that i thought were really cool as a teenager and i'm like oh my god what was i thinking?
0: okay <laughs> you know i'm gonna ask you now you know i'm gonna ask you so what music were you listening to when you were growing up besides your your a traditional musician idols besides them what were you listening to
1: Honestly, mostly them. Like I was uh, <laughs> very sheltered <laughs> in existence, but you know some things that were like really popular in the '90s, like um, using synths or like having like a drum track on, on uh, behind fiddle stuff. You know that that was very of its time, and and now you listen back to it and, and it, it sounds a little bit tasteless. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you know, um, I'm I'm going to be criticized for saying this, but the '90s did not. Give us good music. I hate to say it. I mean, there's a couple of things that are worth holding on to, like the Spice Girls, in my opinion. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and the Spice Girls were more a statement than music, really. But uh, the 80s, yes, the 70s and 60s were really the era of of true music. They are what I think eventually will represent the classical music of this. Century. Um, Interesting, yeah. I think so, but the 90s were more, let's just have a party, let's just not think about what we're doing. There's the grunge and then there was the dance and house music. So uh, it, it was fun at the time. I don't know that it's lasted the test of time. If I may yeah. <laughs> be so critical as to say so, <laughs> so so you didn't miss out that much if you weren't listening to popular music at the time. <laughs> were your parents listening to music that influenced you at all because I know my kids have definitely taken on some of that seventies and eighties
1: uh, love yeah, absolutely no, it, we were big fans of of the Beatles and Joni Mitchell, and that was like mostly due to my mom uh, and my dad was also he was more into like moody blues and stuff and we never really listened to that much as kids but um lots of classical music my dad listened to a lot of that um yeah. so but no, we were mostly listening to our fiddle heroes. My mom would buy like all the CDs of the people that were going to be teaching at fiddle camp that year, and uh, so we could be really well prepped. And
0: <laughs> I've done the same thing.
1: <laughs> we
0: listened to this duo called Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas, like non-stop in this house every time we were getting ready to gear up to go to fiddle camp. So, and everyone else, Bruce Molsky and Daryl and yeah. um, uh, Hanukkah. Exactly. You know, it, it, yeah, it's. Fun to know that the generations have not changed in terms of the commitment to traditional music so i am honored to say that i have inadvertently followed in your mom's footsteps so that's a good thing (laughs) um so one of the things also that i know that you enjoy thoroughly is well first of all i'll say that i've seen you draw and it's crazy Mm -hmm. that you are such an (laughs) amazing artist um, with with drawing is that something that you still do? Have you fostered that or has the cello taken up all the space?
1: (laughs) No, no. I I love, I love to draw and I do, um, try to make time for it when I, when I am inspired to, um, I think it's a wonderful way to relax and to use your hands as an artist in a different way away from the instrument. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I I love it. I, I love being in nature and I love, um, taking the time to Mm -hmm. just sit back and uh, be the observer and try to copy that.
0: Would you consider that as a form of meditation for you? Because I mean, meditation comes in different forms. Okay. So that's a way for you to kind of reboot and retreat and regenerate yeah yeah definitely. I think it's important for artists that are so intense in their field to have something that helps them relax. Uh, cooking is the other thing that I know you and I have <laughs> a passion for, yeah. a shared passion for. What is it about cooking that has you so kind of interested and excited, and what are some of the most interesting cooking adventures you've had? <laughs> I want to know because I'm all about the food and the culinary. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No. I. I actually, since the quarantine, you know, I was um, um, really into baking for a while, and uh, that would be most of what I was doing. But since since the quarantine, um, I started I a New York cooking, New York Times cooking subscription, and I've been using that pretty much every day. Wow. And just uh, trying to find recipes um, vegetarian because my mom is vegetarian, and uh, seeing um, what is I can do with what we have available in the garden. Um, so that's been fun just discovering new recipes all the time. And but um, no, I love, uh, as you say, cultural cooking mm-hmm. um, from. Uh, experimenting with with food from different cultures a- Asian food um, I've always loved to eat and so uh, you know wanting to learn how to cook it has always been on my, my bucket list and we used to have like very elaborate Thanksgiving dinners because I was never really that into American Thanksgiving food mm. um, <laughs> and so we uh, you know I used to have like th- a different theme year every year and oh like, that's to- so cool Chinese one year and like India in another year. And uh, I did, I have been making a lot of Indian food in quarantine as well, Mm. Um, using my slow cooker for the first time. Uh, (laughs) And uh, that's been really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: love the idea of a themed. Thanksgiving, because it's a true representation of America. If you're going multicultural, then every year you're exploring and kind of honoring a different culture that is part of the American culture as well. But Indian cooking specifically, I think in our home is the favorite cuisine. We love mm. Indian food because it's vegetarian, it's allergen friendly, it's delicious and it's rich in flavor. Um, have, yeah. you, have you actually formally taken any classes in cooking or is this just like a organic passion?
1: Uh, I, yes, I d- was traveling in Hong Kong a few years ago and took some Chinese cooking classes you wanting did? to learn how to make dim sum. Oh, wow. <laughs> so like some, uh, a few favorite items, like uh, barbecue pork buns. that uh, was fun. And I have taken, I did take an Indian cooking class at one point too, but um, no, mostly just uh, working from recipes and, and, mm-hmm. and experimenting at home. Okay. So
0: you, you just mentioned travel and I wanted to ask you about your travels. You've pretty much been all over the world. Do you ever have time in your journeys to actually connect with the culture? Have you found yourself engaged in conversations or relationships that left an impact on you that was not only related to music or to you as a performer there?
1: Absolutely. I mean, and that's, yeah, those are like the most cherished times from being on tour or um, when you actually get, the time to connect with the local Mm -hmm. uh culture and and often being traveling as a musician gives you alleys into these uh places um that you wouldn't have as like a normal tourist so i I feel very privileged to get to travel this way because yeah people want to welcome you into their culture and and take you to their favorite places and the the most special food and the, the most um special places um so yeah we've had some wonderful adventures um what stands out like like, like in spain for example we, we have this um our, our our uh tour manager there um they belong to a, a gourmet cooking club and they'll like take us to this oh. in, in uh, san sebastian in the in the basque country you know very well known for food um and very like gastronomically uh Hip oh, place to be, but a- anyway, uh, <laughs> like you know, they'll just like take take you to these doors that like don't have any signs or whatever, you know, something you would never find on your mm-hmm. own. And you open the door, um, this old, like beautiful old wooden door, and then behind it is like this um, amazing array of of uh, specialties of the region, and uh, just keep bringing out courses and Oh, that sounds um, amazing! It reminds me yeah, of Italy a little uh, bit too. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that um, your experiences... Okay, no, let me rephrase the question, because I, I, I am a big um, believer in gratitude, and you've had a pretty amazing life, and some kind of surprise experiences that maybe shy little Natalie would have never, ever even imagined <laughs> at 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. And now that you've done that, now that you've lived that, now that you've experienced that, how can you... in words that maybe you're willing to share more publicly, how do you focus on the gratitude of how that's you know, enriched your life and what about it I think I wanna know has been the most surprising for you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh well, you know, often being a touring musician and being so busy, you don't take the time to, to to just take a step back and and be grateful. Um, although, you know, you're, you're conscious of how lucky you are most of the time. Um, it's not something that I never really took the time to do, but since the quarantine, like, I feel like, you know, now we're realizing for the first time, just, um, how special our lives were and how much we miss, Mm -hmm. um, all of the connections, um, with people that we, we get to make as touring musicians. Um, so yeah, just you know, it's it's forced us to take a step back and and be grateful for for everything that we've gotten to experience. And once that happens again, I think we'll we'll be even more sort of cognizant of it.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's oh. your your words are the affirmation of how. Uh, disconnected we are from the moment when we're living it, and how when we are forced to take a step back, we realize that. And that's my big hope is what comes out of this whole quarantine thing is that we are all more aware and more present when we do go back to having some of those blessings in our lives is to recognize how much it was missing. And now that we have it, how focused we can be on it. What I would like to know is how would you say that music and the arts empowers young people and serves community and society? I know this is a really kind of convoluted question, but I am curious to know if you have in the 20 plus years of your life as a performing artist and as a musician and as seeing all kinds of people and meeting all kinds of uh, communities, if you have been lucky enough to see the connection of how those two things can empower each other, the arts and young people and communities.
1: Yeah, well, food camp is a great example of that. You know, um, young people kind of um, getting to be inspired by the older generations, as you mentioned before, with the multi-generational thing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just um it, it like being, it's like a, a great loop because, you know, your sons, for example, like they're wonderful at what they do and um, they feed younger kids as well with with their knowledge um, and uh, people who are at a a more beginning level of their journey, like the, the, the more advanced ones are going to help those kids and that, that being part of that community really allows you to um, be, witness that happening firsthand and it's a beautiful thing.
0: That is very beautiful. That's so true. It's that kind of generation passing down and keeping that connection using... <clears throat> Excuse me, the arts to remain connected and to inspire that's that 's really beautiful. Oh my goodness, I can sit and talk to you for a very long time. I know that you have a super busy schedule and you're ready to take off. And so I'm not going to take any much more of your time. Um, But really, I feel like I just barely scratched the surface of a few things I wanted to talk to you about. And I thank you for taking the time and talking to me in this crazy, crazy busy time. I wish you well on your travels and adventures. And I, I look forward to the next time we can connect. I know we have some camps coming up that we will be hanging out together virtually but for now that's that's the best that we can do before we take off completely yeah. i do want to do a fun thing with you that i do with all the guests on the podcast and that's a speed round rapid fire questions first answer okay. that comes to mind i'm going to put you on your toes here okay um besides the cello what's your favorite instrument Oof.
1: hurdy-gurdy oh
0: <laughs> awesome okay your favorite animal Sea otter. <laughs> you knew that already. <laughs> I did, but I wanted everyone else to hear it. <laughs> um, if not music, what would have been the path?
1: Oof, I wanted to be a marine biologist because of the sea otter show. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, favorite.
0: Like, we uh, <laughs> That's awesome. So we talked so much about food. What is your favorite dish or if it's too hard to say dish, cuisine?
1: Uh, Sichuan cuisine dandan noodles okay <laughs> maybe dish mm,
0: yeah. yeah back to love the Asian spicy food yum um <laughs> tea or coffee
1: Ooh,
0: tea <laughs> it's a tough one <laughs> and this one's an odd one but I want to ask it of you anyway because who knows maybe you do have an affiliation in your childhood favorite Disney movie or cartoon
1: Little Mermaid, that was definitely a childhood that's, association
0: for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I could have sworn that's the one you would have picked just because of the age and the time. But yeah. I'm glad that you had one because Disney was my life growing up. Um, yep. Favorite singer or band non-traditional?
1: Joni Mitchell.
0: Ah, very good one. Um, do you prefer reading or writing? Reading. Okay. And then let's see... Um, Okay, besides Groove Meister, which is your your bestowed upon title by Alistair, what would be your superpower?
1: Oof. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I would say just like barging ahead. <laughs> <The> barging. <laughs> no matter what
0: the so, obstacles. <laughs> bulldozer woman.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> You know, I'm going to call you that now every opportunity I have. My final question, which is the most important question of all, because we're taking an informal survey. At this point, it feels formal. Um, Pineapple Mm -hmm. on pizza, yes or no?
1: No. Thank you.
0: Thank (laughs) you. I appreciate you so much because both boys are big on the pineapple on pizza. As an Italian, I'm extremely indignant (laughs) about that. So
1: i'm with you (laughs) thank
0: you natalie this was amazing i'm gonna give you a virtual hug here from a distance Um, until we hug again thank you you. yeah thank you so much all the best to you guys on your adventures and then um we are all on pins and needles awaiting the new albums the new projects so i'm sure the listeners will be um on uh uh what's the word i'm looking for um email lists and website lookout and social yes. media and all that for that information. Thank you. So thank it's in you. the works. We're yes. Getting close. Yeah. We're excited. <laughs> Take care,
1: Natalie. <laughs> thank you so much. You Jasmine. Bet.
0: This podcast is produced and recorded by Dante Falk, edited and mixed by Eros Falk, original music by Dante and Eros Falk, recorded in Olympia, Washington at Casa Nostra Studios. Visit the website jasminefalkdickerson.com. Ciao for now.